brought up something from Wednesday that I didn't really catch, but she said that she asked me if I caught the theme of, of the song service Wednesday, and it kind of tied in tonight or this morning, and I didn't even realize it until I had, I had no clue what I was going to preach on until yesterday sometime. So, um, but it's been surrender. All of Wednesday, a lot of the songs Wednesday, a lot of the songs tonight, we're just talking about, or this morning, we're talking about giving it back to God, giving yourself, your heart, your your life, whatever the case may be, giving it back to Him. So, I just wanted to, which is actually, this is kind of a three-part sermon, not so much as in it will take three times, I hope, but we're going to hit three topics that tie into each other. Let's start in uh, James 4 and 7. I uh, I kind of struggled with this one starting off yesterday. I didn't really know. I knew what direction God, but I did not know. I did not know what how he was going to get there. Let me see if this needs to be tightened up. Maybe that's better. James four and seven. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let's drop down to ten. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. You can be seated. So, maybe my jacket's messing with the wire. I'm going to go ahead and take this off. I was going to use... Yes, sir. Oh, okay. I was going to use a, a lollipop mic tonight, or this morning. I don't know why I keep saying that. Um, but I didn't want anything to be missed, and I have a bad habit of talking with my hands, and the microphone would end up over here somewhere. So the title of this morning's message is Give Up and Give In. Uh, I feel that that's a, a big problem that we have as Big C Church, not this church individually, but uh, church as a whole, especially the denominational church, uh, a lot of them, they don't want to give up what they're doing. They don't want to give up their favorite, whatever the case is, insert here, right? We went to a Christmas thing at a local big huge church here in town fits a few thousand people easy um i like i do run the soundboard here when i haven't been asked to preach we have a nice little 18 channel soundboard they had two like 20 something channel soundboards it was massive um and then the lights and just everything and 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 i saw i saw a post that it kind of was talking about mega churches, and it said Jesus came humbly in a manger. There's a couple people standing there, but you have all these mega churches and people flying around. And the one we went to had live animals, and it was really cool. I mean, it was a lot of fun. But you look at it and you go, 
how many of these people, this is something that I was thinking you, they had a little bulletin, it was a whole pamphlet, but it talked about all the classes and groups that they offered. And I'm like, how many of these people think that being in this class, being in this group of people is all that is where God wants them to be? They're not submitting to him, they're submitting to this group of people. We talked about it, 5,000 people in the church. I enjoy being able to look out and see 26 people. I know each and every one of you by name, pretty much, right? I might not pronounce it correctly, but I know you. When we have visitors, you can go, oh, I know who that is, or let me go get to meet them. When you have 5,000 people, you are just looking at a sea of blank faces a lot of times. And thank you very much. So we need, as a big church, and it might be some of us in this small assembly, I know that I could stand to surrender more, to give up more. We can always give up more. And if you sit here this morning and say, nope, I've surrendered everything I am, we need to have a talk afterwards. There's always more to surrender. And... It's something that Erica and I were having a conversation about, about being fully surrendered. So yes, there is more to surrender, but when I say, when I say something to the effect of be fully surrendered, I look at it more as David. David made mistakes. We can all vouch for that. David still had his problems. His flesh still took over at times. But why was David called a man after God's own heart? Because when he messed up, where did he go? I'm sorry. And he ran right back to God and he said, look, I made a mistake. Now, a lot of problems, we do that with our friends and families too, or we do that in our own church. And if if I wrong brother Sam and I go and I talk to him and we'll get more into this later on, hopefully. And I go talk to him and I go, hey, Sam, uh, I did this, but it was because... But how many times do we do that with God? How many times do we say, Lord, I'm sorry, I sinned, I made a mistake, but it was because that old devil. Well, no, because what it is, is because you put your wants and needs above the most high. I saw a little preacher, a video of this preacher. He was talking about how he loves the term most high. He said, I use it all the time in my prayer life. I like, I like using that term to talk to God. He said, but then I'll go out and I'll sin. And whatever it is, what I'm doing when I make that sin, when I do that, when I miss that mark, is I'm putting whatever I wanted to do as the most high. So where do you go from there? Okay, we all make mistakes. Once again, if anybody feels that they do not make mistakes, Please come get with me afterwards and we can, we can have a conversation. Um, we make mistakes when we don't even realize that we are making them sometimes and we don't realize that it is something that is coming between us and God and that is really where the, the root cause comes in. Uh, Sister Bethany posted something on Facebook the other day about people say, well, I don't have time to come to church, so a couple hours a week. Sometimes we go a little longer than a lot of churches, but 
uh, we'll just say a couple hours a week total. Whereas, how long do you watch TV? How long do you do this? How long are you on your cell phone? How long are you in those times that you could have just came in and spent a couple hours a week in the presence of God? I firmly believe, I feel him here today. I, I love this little assembly. I wouldn't give it up for the world. Ephesians 5. So the first part of this is I want to talk about submitting. James 4, 7, and 10 was submitting, humble yourselves. Ephesians 5 and 21. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Um, some of y'all that have been here, y'all know that we had a, back during the summer, we had a youth a little youth get-together, a youth day. We had some people travel in and come see us, and I'm a big fan of, not that I'm great at it, but I like doing Bible drill where you got to start with your book closed at your side. I would give a scripture, and you'd have to pull it out and find it, and first one to read it um, wins that point or whatever. So, sorry, but we're probably going to do a lot of, sorry, not sorry. We're going to do a lot of that today. Um, I need to get a point across. Romans 8 and 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So we have this battle as believers that our flesh of course, wants to do one thing, and Paul talks about that. It's just a couple pages back in my Bible. But our spirit wants to do a whole nother thing and serve God all the time, just all day, every day, all the time, without ceasing. We do have things that we have to do while we, while we are here in this physical body. We have to go to work. We have to run into people we might not want to talk to. But our carnal mind is constantly at war with our spiritual body, right? We're constantly battling that out. So how can we get to where it's not as much of a battle, it's not as much of a fight, but we can overcome it quickly? Brother Branham said he has the reign over every heart that will submit to him. That's a small little sentence. <laughs> it's going to be a day. I'm going to just tell you because it's been a week. Um, Brother Sam and I talked about this. It seems like every time, I know for me, every time that I preach on anything that will bring victory to the body of Christ, to the bride of Christ... Satan is going to fight that more than anything else. So that sentence, he has the reign over every heart that will submit to him. Is your heart submitted to him? Because what does that mean to have the reign? That's not reign like reigns on a horse. It can be. Okay, but we're talking about as the king of the land. If we take it back historically to when kings and actually kings and queens actually ruled the land that they were over whatever he said you did 
If you didn't, bad things happened. So in God, with God having full reign over your heart, you don't have that much of that carnal, that carnal mind being able to take over and take charge because the king is on the throne. He's not out somewhere. He's not absent from you. He's with you. So when that battle comes up, it's not so much, it's not you having to figure out how to win it. It's not you having to figure out how to fight this battle because what did God say? He will go before us in all of our battles. Let's flip over to Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So if God is, if we submit our hearts and God takes that and we submit our bodies and God has full control over that and we've submitted our minds, then there's not many other places that we can really go that Satan would be able to catch a stronghold in, correct? Can everybody, now let's flip over to 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, whoops, 1 Peter 5. Six and seven. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So I've had this conversation. I know last time I was up here, I, I, I just questioned everybody, and it, it might seem like a dumb question, but Everybody here believes that this is the truth. So if you believe that this is the truth and you believe that what the Bible says pertains to not just that day, but it pertains to you individually, then you cannot argue. Okay, I've, I've told people uh, I grew up believing, and a lot, of, a lot of people did, grew up believing that God God just wants to kill you. God hates you because you're such a sinner. Jesus loves you. And he stands in between the, the utter wrath of God and, and, and him not wiping you out, right? That, that's what we were taught. That's, that's kind of the basis of a Trinitarian thought process. When you come to the thought and you see it in the Bible, one Lord altogether... You go, oh, okay. Well, now that makes a lot of sense. So now if you try to keep that same thought process that God hates you and Jesus loves you, but they're the same person, then you're saying that he's bipolar. So then you're saying that 1 Peter 7 is wrong. Because that says he cares for me. And I proved in the last two times I preached that he loves you, that you're his bride, and that he, I mean, how can you say that anybody hates you when they came down and they went through what Jesus did before you even accepted him, before you were even born? It was planned from the foundation of the world, but let's be honest, while he was hanging there, he thought about you. He said, this is for Sam Parker. This is for Joseph Parker. And I've said it before, but it's, it, it's, it's just a thought that just kind of 
weighs so heavily on me that if you were the only one to ever accept him, he still would have gone through all of it. If you were the only one ever since the dawn of time, or even from that point forward, everybody said, oh, look, he can't be who he claims to be. He can't be who those 12 are saying he is. He can't be who those 70 are saying he is because he, he stayed up there and died, and they just left away, and they left it at that. He rose again. Nobody met him. Nobody talked to him from that point. Let's just say every disciple ran away. He never ran into anybody on the road to Emmaus. He still did it for you. That's a heavy statement. That's a heavy thought to carry with you to say, he loves me so much that he still would have gone through all that. 1963, uh, sermon once more, she stepped out, I'll just read it to you, paragraph 46, but you've got to surrender soul, body, spirit, strength, everything you are to the will of God, become a prisoner to him, you're going to be somebody's prisoner, you don't belong to yourself, you are somebody's prisoner, you're either a prisoner of the devil knowing this truth and won't surrender to it or a prisoner to the world and surrender to God, one or the other. You're either the devil's prisoner to sin or you're God's prisoner to righteousness. You are or you're one or the other. Revelations three fifteen and 16. Flip over there real fast. Everybody should know that one kind of well. But it... I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. It's the same thought process. He even says in 15, he says, just be one or the other. You have to be one or the other. You cannot serve two gods at the same time. You cannot have two heads on one body you cannot have okay well i'm in church so i'm gonna serve god look at me i'm righteous i'm holy i I love it here and then you go right back out into the world and you do everything that the world does we all have those problems please understand i'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal by no means i am I deserve none of this that God has given me. I don't deserve to be standing here preaching to y'all this morning. But if you look from a carnal standpoint at the, the heroes, I guess you could say, the heroes of faith in the Old Testament, you would go, they don't deserve what they got. Because they don't. We, didn't, we don't deserve what we got. They weren't even living under the same, the same revelation that we have today. They only had, you know, this much. And they had to write down a lot of what they were doing. Or we wouldn't have it to look back at. So please understand that I'm not in any way trying to say, oh, well, you did these things. You don't deserve to be here. I'm saying that you did these things. You need to be more like David and repent. And come right back to him. And then he can take those things away. Um, 
it's remarkable the things that God took away from me in an instant. If y'all, y'all have only known me for a little over a year, but if you knew me 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I mean, it was literally the person that she knew the day prior to the one that was there the day after was such a different person in so many ways. Yeah, I still had the clink. I had some clinging vines that just kind of hung on and Satan barked and yelled. And I look back at it now and I, and I see why it was. But I mean, it was within an instant that the desire to do the drinking and, and smoking and chewing and all, I mean, all that, the, who I was at this point, And then God came in and literally a second later. So we have a lot of times we go, well, you know, I submitted, but you don't understand who I am. You don't understand. And that was a problem that I had. I had a, I look back at it and it was an identity crisis. Oh, I grew up in a small town. You have to do these things to fit in to be, you know, from the country. You got to do this. You got to fit in with this group of people. But now I look back at it and I go, why did I want to fit in with a group of people that was doing nothing but marching swiftly to hell? In 1961, Abraham and his seed after him. This one's a little bit longer. Now we find out that when God called Abraham, it was by election. I've heard people many times say, I sought God, I sought God. No, I'm different with you. You never did seek God. God sought you first. You never seek after God. It's God seeking after you. It's you, pay attention, it's you that will not surrender to God. It's just like what you could tell the hog in the hog pen, that he shouldn't eat slop. If he could speak, he'd tell you why you tend to own, why you tend to your own business, see, until the nature's changed, then he will always remain a hog. You always remain what you, a sinner, because you're born a sinner, or born in sin, shaped in iniquity, come to the world speaking lies, and you're a sinner by birth. And look what Adam did. As soon as he become a sinner, he never tried to seek God. It was God seeking Adam. He really represented the human race right there when he hid himself behind some fig leaves that he made himself like most people do today. I belong to the church and I've got my fig leaf apron on. But it was God seeking after Adam and not Adam seeking after God. It should have been Adam screaming, Father, Father, where art thou? Instead, it was God saying, Adam, Adam, where art thou? And that's the same thing today. So there's just not one bit of goodness about us that we could say we had anything to do with our salvation. It was God calling us by election. That part about it was you not surrendering. That jumped out to me so much and it makes so much sense to me to look back at it through all the times that I had when I would feel that tug on my heart and I would just be like, not now. I wouldn't surrender. I wouldn't give up. I wouldn't let him in. We've talked about it. God is a gentleman. He is not going to force himself in on you. He is just going to say, hey, I'm here. This is what I need you to do. But are you going to surrender to that? 
Are you going to surrender and say, God, this makes absolute no sense to me, but I'm going to go. When he sent the disciples out, when Jesus sent the disciples out two by two, and he said, don't take money, don't take an extra cloak, don't take food, don't take nothing, just go. That made no sense. Think about that. If, I, if, if you were led today, you're from Arkansas. If, you, if God came down on you and said, hey, I need you to just start walking that direction. Take what you have on. Start walking. Well, when will I know to stop? When I tell you to. Well, when will I know when to turn? When I tell you to. Brother Branham had that time when he, when he missed the flight. He was in a city that he, he didn't know that part of it. And he was literally, turn here, turn here, turn here, talk to that person. That's submission. That's surrender. Right? I, we, we have those times, almost like a moment of clarity where we do surrender and God puts us in. He, he might do great things or witness to this person. Or you see somebody's life drastically change that's known you for a certain amount of time. And, and then the next time something happens, you go, well, I don't know about right now. Look what I just did through you. And now you don't want to do it because it's 25 degrees outside, because it's raining, because it's cold. What's your excuse? What's the excuse? Because that's what it is. It's all excuses. So why do we need to submit to Jesus? Why do we need to have that submission To the Almighty, to, um, in my last, one of the last sermons that I was up here, God gave me one that I had, maybe y'all have heard it, but I thought it was kind of cool, and it was the architect of the cosmos. And I thought that was kind of cool when when, when I wrote it down. I was like, I've never even thought about that. But you think about the work that even an earthly architect goes into, and then you think about the Greek word cosmos and what it actually means thought that was a cool one. 1 Corinthians 11, I told you we're going we gonna to read some Bible today, 11 and 3, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. The head of every man is Christ. So that means for the men in here. That means that no decision should be made, especially in your household, concerning your family, without seeking your head first. How would you feel if your wife showed up and said, hey, I drained the bank account. Um, I thought it was a good thing. Really thought Kansas could beat Alabama this upcoming weekend. Uh, It didn't work. We have to move. The house is gone. I put the house up. Uh, you'd be a little upset that she didn't ask you first, right? There's a big problem that I had for a long time that I would just go buy stuff. And Erica would go, why didn't you ask me? And I'd go, because I had the money. I just bought it. I thought I wanted it or I needed it, whatever. And I would just do it, right? But not only am I not asking God what I should do, but I'm not 
I'm not consulting with anybody in my family. So if she feels that she needs to ask me before she goes and does something as small as spending money, then why do I not feel that I need to go ask God before I make life-changing decisions? Much less spending money. I'm not saying, you know, asking God if you should go to McDonald's or Wendy's. Okay? You might need to. I don't know. He might tell you to go somewhere else and get something a little bit better for you. Obviously, I have not made that consultation. (laughs) So, we have to understand, for a lack of better terms, I've told y'all, I'm not not great with words. I'm not a wordsmith, but for a lack of better terms, the hierarchy of the way that it, God tells us, and then we, but we have to seek his decisions. He's not just going to constantly be this, 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 right? You have to go to him and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Brother Sam's talked about it many times that he said, God, you got to step in. I have absolutely no work. And then big jobs would come in. Even if it's a bunch of little jobs, you're still putting your faith in him And it'll be remarkable how that little job will pay this much. And then that'll be exactly what you need. Bills, food, whatever the case is. Every time. Every time. time. Let's jump back to Ephesians 5 again. I think we call him Little Sam, which is my son, for those of you that don't know. Uh, I think he's getting frustrated with me jumping around so much. Five, and we're going to start in 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. So my last message was arise my love. And I wanted to prove to you that you are the bride of Christ. Right? And I did not prove it off of my own knowledge. I did not prove it off of anything that I know because I know nothing. I did my best to prove it out of here for God to speak directly to you and say, look, I told you it is right here. Because then nobody can argue with me, right? If I can prove it to you out of black and white and sometimes red, you can't argue with me. So in 23, it says, for the husband is the head of the wife. So we are his bride. So this is almost redundant. But God is trying to get a point across for you to really see who Christ is, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body, nothing should happen within this little assembly. Yeah, there's 26 of us, 27, sometimes we'll make it to 30 something. Nothing should happen inside of this assembly without Christ being dead center in the middle of it. And I do feel that that is something that we We've had to, and it's proven itself with the new building, a couple more weeks, the new building coming up that was literally just, there you go. There's no way that could be, no man could have worked that good of a deal out. I don't care how good of a swindler you are, you're not going to get that the way that it did. The other little things that have happened, even if you just follow our WhatsApp, somebody will be like, hey, I need prayer. This happened. 
generally within a couple hours at max. Hey, it doesn't hurt anymore. Hey, I'm good. Because we, as an assembly, seek God first. And I know that Brother Sam does with decisions, especially in the church, because if he didn't, we probably still wouldn't have this building. If he was trying to do things on his own and going out and trying to swindle or work deals on his own, he's trying to do this, do that, trying to come up with ways to make money so that we could get a church building, we would lose this building. And then how many of y'all would want to sit around tables in the 25 degrees, going to be snowing like tonight, tomorrow, to listen out there in a field somewhere in his backyard? It's pretty flat, right? We know we can fit in the living room, but if too many people show up, then what? Let's drop down to 25 and make this a little more personal. 25, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. Even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bone. That's getting a little close, Matt. I don't feel comfortable being in that wheelbarrow. You're now saying that I got to love my wife the way God the way that Jesus Christ, let's, let's get real specific, the way that Jesus Christ loves me. So let's just think about, we don't have to name them, let's just think about everything that Jesus has done for you personally. And now let's think about all the times that you haven't gone even a little out of your way for your wife. I know that narrows it down to only a couple people in this room right now, but some of y'all will get there. Some of y'all are wives, okay? I'm not trying to step on any husband's toes, but that's what the Bible said. It's not what I said. This isn't Matt Webster's words. That's divinely inspired. That hurt me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. That hurt me a little bit because I even even the map before, not even just a year ago, but 11 years ago, the way that I treated my wife, and I've said it before, she should not have stayed with me. There is no way on earth a normal person, especially in today's society, uh, divorce being so high, uh, We've been trained that way to when things get bad, you just jump out 
jump out of the ship. Don't even worry about what's out there. And I can't make it up. I can't make it up to her. But from this point forward, from the point that you understand this revelation forward, you should not only see change, but your wife, your friends, your family should see change. We are the very body, flesh, and bone of Jesus Christ. But look at how we treat people, how we talk about people behind their backs, how we do it in the name of, oh, well, this was big in a lot of churches I've been in. Well, you need to pray for sister so-and-so because she's back drinking again. We could have stopped it. Pray for her. What for? That's fine. You can stop there. But we do it all the time. Because as humans, we love to gossip. And I'm guilty of it. Please understand. I'm not just, I'm guilty of it. But we all do it. And it normally takes us way too long to realize what we're doing for, the, for us then to go, I'm sorry, I need to stop. But where do you go once again when you realize you're at that point? Because now you've not only sinned before God, but you've wronged a brother or sister. You've wronged an individual that you need to go clear it up with. Let's jump over to Colossians 1. Hope there's enough ink in that pen there, Samuel. Colossians 1. 15 through 18. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body and the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. So I told you all about my new Bible here. Uh, and it has some notes down at the bottom, and it's something that I really enjoy, and I'd like to share it with you. So in 15, where it says, firstborn of every creature, as used of our Lord here, the, this term, Greek, proto-tokos, proto refers to priority of position rather than of origin. This meaning is clear in Psalms 89:27. Also, I will make him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. The assertion in 115, therefore, is that Christ, as the eternal Son, holds the position of priority in relation to all creation, and that he was before all things, he created all things, and in him are all things. I don't think that leaves anything out. That literally covers everything. And then you get into all things were done for him, right? All things were created by him and for him. So you are here because he created you for him. 
That's pretty serious. Everybody you see, there's only 26 of us here and over 400,000 in Wichita alone. Everybody you see was created by him for him. So why do we look at them and say, oh, they are this? They did me wrong. Something that I haven't heard a lot, but some of y'all that have been in the message longer than me have said, we instantly go to their serpent seed. How do you know? Did you ask them? Did you get to know them? Did you sit down and talk to them and say, hey, what made you start believing that you were a panda bear? One of my coworkers, we laugh, one of my coworkers said that a school here in town now has full-size litter boxes for those that claim to be cats. Excuse me? Has anybody asked them why they feel that way? Has anybody asked them what's going on at home? We have a couple school teachers, one current, one retired, I know. We got a couple people in here that have dealt with kids day in and day out. But how many times, out of all the teachers in your school, how many times does somebody actually find out what's going on with that kid at home? Until there's an IEP meeting. Until the, until the mom comes in with a gun. Not made up. Literally happened. Because she wants to get her way. We have an opportunity as the body of Christ, the very flesh and bone, to not just take this message, but to take it to people that need it so much that it will change their very lives, which then will work like a ripple effect and change their parents and their friends and their family and grandma and grandpa and this random uncle that shows up for Christmas dinner. Because they go, you weren't like that a year ago. You weren't like that at Thanksgiving. What changed? Let me tell you. Let me tell you something. And we go, well, Matt, I'm not good at, I'm not good at, you know, sharing that with people. And once again, I prove to you, and it's not only on recording, but it's on a video recording. So you can even see me say it if it makes you feel better, that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Because those that know you know how you were and they know who you were and they know that type of person. And now that you are a completely new creature, yes, you might lose friends for some time. Hate to tell you. There might be people that say, I don't want to hang out with you Bible thumping cult members. Okay. Because I see a change. I see the power of God moving in these 26 people. I see it when I go to other churches that we go, go to meetings or we just go visit this. I can see God moving through 20, 30 people at a time. You cannot tell me that this is anything other than the miraculous divine power of Christ moving through the bride body because I've already seen too much. We're past that point. You don't, even, you don't even have to bring up any of Brother Branham's sermons, any of the testimonies of that. 
just me personally have seen too much and met too many people that have been healed of things that would have never happened if they had relied strictly on doctors. There's no way. Brother Burley should never have gotten his eyesight back. That surgery literally should have been to remove and put in a glass eye. That's what that should have been. The king should not have been healed of what they were healed of. Those are people I know personally, and that's just happened in the last few months. And I've only been coming to this church for a year. And we can just keep naming them off. Everybody here can keep rattling them off. By the time Sadie is Aaron's age, the miracles that she's seen, it's just going to be, people are going to be like, well, I don't believe in that. Well, let me tell you. These girls on this front have seen more miracles and divine moving of God than the vast majority of the big C church today. And I am so very glad that I am part of that. So what does it mean that Christ is our head? In 1962, Jehovah Jireh number two, paragraph 156, how that Rebecca watered that camel in the cool of the evening. Eliezer didn't find her in the morning. He never found her at noontime. He found her in the evening light. It shall be light in the evening time, right? That's where he found her. She veiled her face. She had no head. She was going to her head. Amen. A woman, it's her nature of a woman to surrender to a man, and it's the nature of the church to surrender to Christ. Surrender to his will. Just surrender. She has no thinking of her own. She takes his word, not somebody else's. If Eve would have done that, we'd never had to die. But she listened to reasonings. But the real bride of Christ takes the headship of Christ, the word, and only believes God's word. That's the real, the restored bride. Hallelujah. It's nearly time, friends. It's later than you think. We're at the evening time. The Holy Spirit is here tonight. I know it's a little bitty group. In the, in, in the view of the church, Big C again, we are a little bitty group. About it, almost every message church you go to would be a little bitty group. Just talked about a church here in town. We have a couple of them that average four or 5,000 people. But what are they getting out of it? What are they getting? What are you getting when you show up at that church? They have the music. They have the fanaticism. They have the lights and the big, I mean, that same church, we went to a concert there. It's that big of a church. It's a concert hall. It's huge. Joel Osteen bought out the old state, an old basketball stadium. Massive. But what are you getting other than something to make you feel good? I guarantee you that just this message, not to try to boast me up, because it's probably not really a brag, I would be pulled out of a church quick the way that I have 
brought light to a situation that we all suffer with, but nobody wants to admit it. If you were to go into one of those 5,000 person churches or my grandmother in, in Detroit, it's like an eight, 10,000 person church. They have a couple services because they can't fit everybody. That's like four services a day. They probably get 30,000, 40,000 people a day, a Sunday. And you were ever to say something like the majority of sermons that I've heard come from any size message pulpit, they wouldn't let you finish. Because you are shining light on something that does not want light shined on it. And the Bible warns us of that, that they will just want, they'll just have itching ears and they they just want to be told what makes them feel better. So they can go on about their day and they can go, I spent my hour and a half in church. The music was great. What was the message about? God. Thanks. God loves you. Okay. Let's get a little deeper, right? Why does he? How do you know? In 1963, Christ is the mystery of God revealed. Great message. Paragraph 519, therefore the body cannot recognize, do not, or don't you fail this, the body therefore cannot recognize any other headship but the word. Because the head is connected with the body, and the head is the, is the word. And it's the same word, one headship, therefore denominations and, whoops, denominations and holy fathers and everything else is dead dung. There is one headship. That's Christ. The body only recognizes one thing. The word. I grew up in a Baptist church. I visited Methodist churches. I went to a non-denominational, I guess you could say, church. While in basic training, I went to a more contemporary Baptist church in Virginia. I've made my rounds. You don't hear stuff like this on a day-in and day-out basis. You don't hear as much truth as I've heard in the year that I've been coming to message churches. You don't hear, we won't even get into some of the bigger things, but you don't hear the submission and surrender in a lot of churches today that I've heard in the last year. So, of course, you don't see the result of that surrender. You sit in those churches, and even before I had a better revelation that I have now, the understanding of of serpent seed and the understanding of Christ and God and Holy Ghost all being one and the understanding of these and the proof of it, because when you see it and you understand it, you go, oh, that makes sense. It's not an argument. You, Oh, okay. I can get behind that because something inside of me said, that makes sense. Listen to what that. Whereas you go to some of these other ones, and I've sat in many of them, and you just go, something about this doesn't seem right. 
It's not that he's not saying this or he's not saying that. It's, it's not that he did say something that seemed so off-putting, but something inside of me says that's wrong. And you might not even know what it is. Just something inside of you. And we, we run into the same thing. We meet people, and I find it so funny, being a veteran, when people find out you're a veteran, one of the most common things, the first thing I heard is, well, I was going to enlist, but you'd be surprised. All the time. I, I don't care. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me that you did not enlist. I did. Okay, thanks. Thanks for your support. It takes both sides of that coin. If everybody enlisted, nobody would be here to make the, the stuff that we need to go over there, right? But when people find out that I'm a Christian... When people ask and go, what, you know, what's different? And I go, well, you know, I'm a Christian and I'm preaching today or whatever. Well, you know, I, I, I grew up Christian. I didn't ask. But they have to justify themselves to me while they're not anymore. Or that they are, they've just fell on hard times. And you know when you talk to these people that you go, there's something in that. That even if they do have a little bit of a seed in there, that's just saying, can somebody water me? Please. The spirit in you reaches out to the spirit in them and it says, hey, we're kindred. I'm just a little weaker. Can you help me out a little bit? But then you meet those people that always have to justify why you're wrong, even though you didn't say anything. Um. I'm sure we all know at least one person that will tell you how, how wrong you are just because of this, just because they Googled William Branham on, on the Internet, just because they want to come up with some reason. Uh, I've, I, it's harder to be an atheist than to be a Christian because you have to justify why you're not. You have to justify away all the things that you can't explain. You, oh, well, it was just this. There's no reason why we exist, but there's no reason why. Well, why? I mean, it's not hard questions. It's a simple question. You meet any three-year-old, it's their favorite question a lot of times. Why? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? Why is the sky blue? Why is... So, we run into these people, and a lot of times, we don't know what to say. Because we don't surrender for God to speak through us. I would say that that is one of the easiest things about preaching. It's just going, I have no clue what I'm talking about. Take over. Right? But then it's also one of the hardest things. Because you might have pages and pages of notes. And you just sit here and go, nope, 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 nope. Or you know that God gives you something that's going to offend somebody. And uh, we as human beings never want to offend anybody. But when I'm not standing here, why is it so hard for me to surrender when I'm out there? Is it because the way that people will look at me? Is it because I do not work in a very Christian mindset place? Is it because people will go, oh, 
He's that Bible-thumping guy. What's wrong with those things? What's wrong with being labeled a Christian? What's wrong with being labeled, even if they think it's an insult, a Jesus freak? Because you are. I just read, you are the blood of his blood, the bone of his bone, the flesh of his flesh. So what's wrong? Do you get offended when somebody calls you Sam Parker? No, that's your name. So why would you get offended when somebody goes, oh, you're that Jesus guy? Okay. Whew. Thought you were going to call me something bad for a minute. Still in Colossians, but let's go over to Colossians 3. And 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. I feel like we already read something earlier that said that we were the election. Holy and beloved bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any even as Christ forgave you so also do ye that's a lot so think about how you were forgiven not just the physical process but what happened after God forgave you not just what he did for you to be able to receive that forgiveness but what you did or what he did after he forgave you and you were able to come into communion with him so I've always been told that you don't have to fellowship with those that you forgive or that forgive you I was actually on the Bible app the other day, and uh, it was a whole thing, and he was talking about it, and he was talking about this, and uh, that's kind of what started all this, was sometime around Thursday. Um, Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So to put that a little simpler, forgive others the way Christ forgave you. You go, oh, well, that's... That's no problem. I forgive them. I don't have to talk to them. I don't have to see them. I don't have to do anything with them. But that's not how Christ forgave us. Did he forgive us and then expect no fellowship or communion? Did he forgive you and then not ever want to talk to you? Or on the other way around, want you to talk to him? Did he forgive you For you not to come and see him to be in his presence. Not just on Christmas and Easter. But every waking hour. Now this is hard. This puts us right back in that wheelbarrow. And now we're not on a log. We're like on a tightrope. Right? We're putting a lot of faith in something. But but the way that... Y'all all told me that you believe that this is the truth. So you can't argue with me anymore. That says, forgive others the way that Christ forgave you. I told you the story about the guy that became friends with the young man that helped kill his son. And it's all one thing going, oh, well, that was that guy. 
Okay. Those of you that have children, imagine that for a minute. Imagine for not just forgiving, but becoming friends with somebody that single-handedly helped kill your offspring. Somebody that put the, the, the will in motion for you to lose your only son. This is physical. This is somebody that a friend of mine knows and goes to church with. He went and visited the man in, in, in prison. And that's how they started their friendship. He saw him at the court date when he got sentenced to aggravated manslaughter or whatever. And then he became friends with him. Is that not what God did for us? Did God not forgive us and not forgive those of us that single-handedly, you go, Matt, I wasn't there 2,000 years ago, but it was you. You were the one standing in the crowd yelling, crucify him. Not knowing what that act was doing, that he's now going to be your friend. It's a pretty good benefits package too. But for no other reason than to personally know Jesus Christ. You hear about these people that name drop celebrities. Well, you know, I was I was a, I was a taxi driver and Steven Seagal snuck into the back of my cab and that's cool. But I know Jesus. Jesus goes where I go. Jesus hears what I hear. He speaks through me. He sees what I see. He feels what I feel. I am, and you can't deny it, the blood and bone of Jesus Christ. But we can't forgive somebody that said something bad about us. Now, when we wrong people, When we go, I used Erica when I was talking about this with her little mini sermon a couple days ago. When we wrong people, if I wrong her and I just say, hey, babe, I made a mistake, can you forgive me? Now the ball's in her court, right? That's on her. That's between her and God. I've asked for forgiveness. I cannot force her to forgive me. You cannot force God to forgive you. He did it because of your surrender and your submission, right? So me going to her and just saying, hey, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Puts the ball in her court. Now, same example as I gave earlier. If I go and I say, hey, I made a mistake, but I thought it was a really good thing. And you start justifying it away. She has no obligation to forgive you. Because you're not really apologizing at all. Now, sometimes people will wrong you, however great it may be. Nobody's children have been murdered that I know of in here. I don't know some of y'all. But uh, stuff like that makes it on the news. 
people will wrong you and you will say things out of anger to them. But you will then say, I do not have to ask for forgiveness from them until they ask for forgiveness from me. We have communion right around the corner. I implore you, side note, for the next couple weeks, two weeks, to search your heart diligently. If there's anything that you've said that could have been construed one way or another, don't just go and say, hey, I'm sorry for what I said a couple days ago. If you wholeheartedly put that before God and you say, God, I know that I wronged Joseph. He's been upset with me recently. I don't, I don't know what it was. Can you show me what I did so that I can go talk to him and we can make this right? And then if I go to him and I go, Joseph, hey, man, I know the other day I said this. It came out the wrong way. I'm really sorry. I did not mean it like that. Can you please forgive me? And he doesn't. I've done all that I can do. But if he is the man that I believe that he is, he then will go, God, what do I need to do? Because that is his head and he's seeking guidance to pursue this situation. First Peter five. Eight through ten. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, a lot of us stop right there because that's the end of that verse, but if you notice, that is a colon, the power of punctuation, right? This is still the same sentence, this is the same thought. So we roll right into nine. Or eight. Nope, nine. I was right the first time. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, established, strengthened, settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the power of punctuation, nine or eight flows right into nine. The same one, I need you to get this this morning. The same one that the adversary is seeking to devour is the same one that resists. It's the same thought process. Okay. But also, what I take from this, because it says, whom resists steadfast in the faith? What work did you put forth to get the last half of that, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished and by the grace of God, right? 10 is a very positive verse. He's going, you're perfect, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. All of that is by... Resisting in the faith. So faith in what? Faith in who? Right? If you've got nothing else from the last couple minutes, almost hour that I've been talking, 
Faith in your head, the head of the body, Christ Jesus, is where that comes from. So let's make it, let's make it a little serious, right? Let's make it a little personal. Replace those homes with your name. Hmm. You put me right back in that wheelbarrow, Matt. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, my adversary, right? Make it personal. Sing it to you. The devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking Matt Webster, whom he may devour. Matt Webster resists steadfast in the faith. Make it personal. Take it home, right? This isn't just talking about somebody down the road somewhere. This is you. That's you. Take it with you. Make that about you. Is Jesus your head today? Is there something that you are putting over his will? Is there something that is binding your faith? Are you fighting to surrender your will to his will? Humans are hard-headed by nature. We want to do things our way. But Jeremiah 10.23 says that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh. To direct his in to direct his steps. We just talked about that earlier. Brother Branham surrendered that day and he, he walked and it turned here, turned there, turned here, talked to that person. Are you that surrendered? Are you do you have I struggle with it too, please understand, the faith that if God told you to get up and just start walking, that he's gonna tell you what direction to go? Because Jeremiah says he will. Jeremiah said it's not on you. He said that it's on God to direct your steps. Jesus is the lamp unto your feet and the light unto your path. If you have ever used a kerosene lantern in the dark. I come from a small town in Tennessee horrible power grid we used common lanterns a lot when the power would go out that light only shines so far now it illuminates you anybody looking out can go there's somebody standing there with a lantern but you might not be able to see them because they're 30 40 yards away so that's the way that i like to take this the light unto my feet and the lamp unto my path or vice versa the lamp unto my feet and light unto my path is it only shines this much And now you're in the way, and it's darkness here. So we're leaving the darkness behind us as we walk in that light. But we have to trust that in the next three steps, when I make it to that next set of darkness that's right in front of me, that the lantern's still going to be shining light up there too, and I'm not going to walk into something that I don't know is there. I mean, there could be a grizzly bear with his back turned from me to the projector, and my lamp only goes from me to that cup of water. But I got to have the faith when I'm walking with that lantern that when I make it to here, he's not going to be there anymore. Because God said that he'll go before us in all our battles. That wasn't just to the Israelite people. That wasn't just to them. That wasn't just something of that day. Because if you believe that that is something of that day, then you have to deny that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can't have it both ways. 
So if you believe that he's the same yesterday and today and forever, then you believe that he goes before you too. You believe that he goes before you in those battles. You believe that he goes before you in those trials and those struggles and whatever is put on you on a day-to-day basis, he already saw it. And he already stepped out there and he said, I'm going to take care of this. You just pick up what's left. You already won the battle. The victory is yours. If you can surrender, if you can submit, and if you put God, Jesus Christ, in his rightful place as the head of not just, well, he's the head of the church, so of course he's the head. No. Make it personal. Is there something that is not allowing you to forgive others the way Christ forgave you? I like to compare versions of the Bible, and I was reading Job 11, uh, and it was actually the contemporary English version, but I like the way it says it. I like the way that it puts this. Job eleven thirteen through 20. Surrender your heart to God. Turn to him in prayer and give up your sins, even those, some say cares, different, a little bit depending on what year, even those you do in secret. Now, wait a minute. That's just between me and God. Nope. He sees them. That's not just you. You're not hiding it from him just because you're in the bathroom with a locked door. Then you won't be ashamed. You will be confident and fearless. Your troubles will go away like water beneath a bridge and your darkest night will be brighter than noon. You will rest safe and secure, filled with hope and emptied of worry. Anybody in here struggled with worry? I know I have. I worried about a lot of stuff, especially in 2020 when I lost my job. You can ask her. I was worried. I was worried how I was going to do this and do that and make money, whatever. I struggled with worry. I struggled with worry. You will sleep without fear and be greatly respected. So we've gone from personal things to where, oh, you'll just feel better. You'll sleep better. You won't worry about nothing. To now, just because I surrendered my heart to God, people are going to respect me just because they show up. Well, they have to. Because if God's in you, then they have to respect who is in you, right? We just said that we're the flesh of his flesh and the bone of his bone. The very creator of everything, the architect of the cosmos, everything was made by him for him. So how can they not respect you? But those who are evil will go blind and lose their way. Their only escape is death. Well, that took a turn quickly. You got mad, it's not that easy. It's not that easy to just surrender my heart, to just give up everything that I've known my whole life. It's not that easy. My, my great-great-grandpa drank moonshine. My great-great-grandpa drank it. My grandpa, my dad, now me, I have to, I make it, that's who I am. The one that made you was not your earthly father. Yeah. 
and your earthly mother. Those generational, I've heard them called generational curses. I like to call them generational complexes. Because it is a complex that's put on us. Read through the the life story, the supernatural books about Brother Branham, about how many times his dad called him names. Just, I mean, he drank moonshine. Wasn't where I planned to go, but it worked. He made moonshine. He sold it. That was what little money that they got in came from nefarious ways. And how many times that he would, just do it, just do it, just do it. You're a sissy, just do it. You're a wimp, you're whatever. And all he did, even at young, young age, was believe in a voice from a tree. And he held that with him so tightly, he had no evidence of it. He's talking about something that's going to happen in 40 years. He had visions and people made fun of him for it. But he held on to it because something inside of him said, that's the truth. Hold on to that. Even when he was ridiculed and made fun of, he tried to do this. He tried to do that. He tried to hurt people. He held on. And all these things, everything I just read was given to him. People still do fight against him. And they call us a cult and they call us all these names. I've even heard and I've seen, I've seen the reports that they're like, well, he, he strayed from his doctrine there at the end, but he still had all the miracles. God would not be moving in this church if we were wrong. And I pray that at any point if we go somewhere and we stray from something because we think we got it all figured out and all of that stops, we don't feel him here on a regular basis. We don't see him moving in this assembly. That we, as an assembly, not just as the elders of the church, it's not just on the, the elders of the church. Please understand that it is on everybody that is in here, everybody that is tuned in to listen to me, and everybody that will listen to me in the future. It is on you to help keep this church surrendered to Christ. Because if one person doesn't, then it can hinder everybody here. If one person walks in here not surrendered. Now, like I said, we all have room to surrender more. But when I say fully surrendered, I mean fully surrendered in the idea of like David was that when I am so surrendered that I, I know that I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to do my best not to. Paul even talked about it. What I want to do, I can't do. And what I, what I don't want to do, I can't stop doing. Because you are still a human. But what do you do who do you turn to? Where do you go? When you make that mistake, when you've burned all the bridges, when you have nobody to fall back on. Pretty sure there's a song about that. Singers and musicians can come back. I have a couple more points. I would ask that everyone seek your heart especially this Christmas season, but seek your heart and find all the things that are hindering your walk with Jesus. 
even those things that you don't think are all that bad or that's just what people like me do. You aren't those people anymore. Either you're in or you're out. You're a prisoner of Jesus or a prisoner of the devil. Prisoners of devil, prisoners of the devil do what you used to do. Prisoners of the devil do what I used to do. I'll put myself in that wheelbarrow. But prisoners of Jesus. Prisoners of Jesus do what Jesus did. Because he is living inside of you. He is with you wherever you go. What you see, what you say, what you do. He does it with you. Find those things. Those clinging vines as some call them. Those complexes that you never thought were in the way. Put everything on trial. When I was going through therapy for my PTSD, uh, that's something that she said, is put every thought on trial. You're both the judge, the prosecutor, and the defense attorney. And then you're the jury. Put it on trial. So you have this thought, I feel that I'm useless because of this. Okay, why? Bring evidence to the table. So every complex, everything that you feel is coming between you and God, put it on trial. One, God can take care of it. I don't think we have that problem if you fully surrender. Understand that. But put it on trial on why do I feel this way? Because there's a root cause of it somewhere. It didn't just be, it wasn't just sprung up on you. Something happened to you sometime between today and the day you were born that that complex was able to come in and it's done nothing but grow. That sore is festered and you got to get the thorn out you got to get that splinter out no matter how small it is. That's what's spurring all these other things. And it might have nothing to do. It could be unforgiveness for this and you're bitter about it. And now X, Y, Z happens. They don't even correlate. But when you put it before God and you submit to him and you say, just show me what's causing this. Then he can dig down and he can get it out. No damage to you. I mean, he's the the one that created you. He can move everything out of the way to get to it. If we speak in a physical sense, he can cut through the bone marrow. But you have to submit. You have to put it there and put everything on trial and let Jesus prune off those dead branches. Seek him first spend all day just on that topic. Seek first the kingdom of God. I just read, I don't even know how many scriptures that said submit, surrender, give it to, right? But we still struggle with it because we go, maybe we've been taught, I don't want to burden him. That, that's, that's not that big of a deal. I don't, I don't want to bother him with that. I'm just not feeling good today. cares so deeply for you and I said this last time that he'll even give you a good day whatever that means you can just say hey my nose is a little stuffy if you're not surrendered if you don't go to him first the little things turn into big things Job 13 said 
believe me or you can believe the Bible. Job 13 said all these good things happen when you give him your heart. But in one sentence, but if you do evil, you won't just be physically blind. That's not what it's saying. It's saying you'll be spiritually blind and he will separate himself from you because God cannot be near that. But as soon as you go back, go running back and you hit your knees and you say, Lord, I'm sorry. I made it right with whoever I wronged. Maybe it was just between you and him. Maybe it was a, a unbelief. I mean, even even the the man that came and he's like, I believe, but forgive my unbelief. Because there are things that we as Americans, especially physical things when it comes to doctors, that we struggle with because we've been told that that's the only way to get better. That's the only way to get better. I've met too many people that have talked about miraculous healings in Africa. A lot of places over there do not have as good of a healthcare system. Not even close. I had a friend that had to get his appendix removed and he said he basically was in a meat locker. Literally had the hanging plastic. That was the hospital. It was a hospital, but it was and uh, it was bad, but he was stationed over there for a little while. So we as Americans, we struggle with that. We go, well, if the doctor said that I'm sick, then I must be sick. Well, the doctor said that I can't walk again, so here I go. The doctor said I was going to die, but here he sits. I've seen too much to go back. And I and I want y'all to just be able to have the love and the and the, the sight that I see, but when, but when we don't give up our heart to Jesus, when we cannot surrender something as small as something that, I mean, what, what is it to you? It brings you life. But if, if Jesus moves in, it could stop and you still walk around. I mean, I, I don't know anybody else that rose from the dead that he didn't move in and say right you can't you can't tell me anybody that it's not done by evil we can see that so today this morning in the middle of our cornfield in Bentley Kansas I ask that everybody here just surrender everything that they have and let him in to do the work he wants to do in you let's close in prayer father i thank you for giving me this opportunity to come here and share your word with you with your people i ask that you forgive me for not opening in prayer and 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 coming to you first i got a little zealous and just a little excited to share this revelation that you've laid on my heart to bring to everybody here thank you for still continuing to use me in a way that I never could imagine that I would be used to share your word with so many people and and, and spread it around the globe through technology. I thank you for that technology. I thank you for what you've done with it to be able to share your word with your people. I ask, Lord, that you be with everyone that is here everyone that is under the sound of my voice whether it be video or audio recording 
they seek you today. They do not wait. Let them seek you today, right now, Lord, and find those things that are hindering their walk with you, that are stopping them to be able to forgive those that have wronged them. Lay so heavily on their hearts, Lord, that they, they, they cannot do anything but run and talk to those people, that they cannot do anything but seek you and, and, and ask for forgiveness, not just from you, but from those people that they, they know that they need to talk to, but they, they have grown so cold and so hearted, cold-hearted and just let that, that thorn just fester and, and cause a cause a sore that that is just so miserable and hurts them all the time just let them seek that person let them come to you and find out what is causing that issue i thank you lord for what you are doing in this church what you have done in this assembly what you are going to continue to do i cannot express it in words but you know my heart lord and i just thank you so much jesus what you're doing in these couple of people here and those that will come and those that are listening to us and those that want to do nothing else but get here just so that they can be part of this family I thank you for each and every one here Lord I thank you for everyone that has shown me your love by accepting me like they've known me my whole life I ask Lord that you be with each and every one of us as we leave here let this seed just just grow and grow and grow father just let it just water it and and let it grow that that we can be the light to the world that people can see the fruit that you are producing in our lives and i ask that you prune off those dead branches that are not that are not producing fruit anymore do not let them weigh us down or slow us down anymore take them away dear Jesus that we will do nothing but be a fruitful tree for you for your name for your kingdom guide us and keep us safe as we leave here Satan I just want to remind you that you are defeated I take authority over you in the name of Jesus I cast you off each and every one of the people that are here under the sound of my voice you have to flee it is written and you cannot deny it take authority over the whole house of hell and I bind you by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and I cast you out into the outer darkness but you will not interfere with us you can bark and yell and scream all you want but you are still under our feet the victory is ours and the battle is over and I thank you Jesus for giving us that victory and I ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name
心眼。